Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome to the Foolishness Podcast. Uh, we took a break from the Gospel of John. We got four episodes at uh, the first chapter. I hope for those of you that I was telling to get in church, get planted, don't just listen to podcasts, don't just have Christian opinions. Sit under a teaching, sit under a covering, sit under the anointing that is on men and women of God. We took a break from that for a few testimonies, got into some crazy ones. I've got a crazy one coming up tomorrow, but today I'm really excited because I've got a good brother friend of mine that really, we should have done all kinds of ministry over all these years because we are two minutes away from each other, but we rarely bump into each other and he's doing amazing things for the kingdom He's a Navy SEAL, the SEAL of God. I don't want to give away too much, but Chad Williams, how you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me on. I was thinking about it. It's almost like you're just you're covering down the right flank of the battlefield. I'm over here on the left flank. Eventually, we're going to meet up in the middle somewhere. Eventually, oh, we're going to get to heaven and be laughing about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, you know, I guess I came to faith 2004, you a little bit later, 2007, Yes. And so we both, as I'm even introing, and, and we can just go everywhere in a minute, but really Huntington is such a small place that I heard, here's this Navy SEAL guy, and God did radical things in his life, heard your story, you know, at a harvest back in the day, Greg Laurie, knew you before that, yeah. and I'd be going to Chipotle, there you are with a dozen young men, I'm in jiu-jitsu the other week, and Danny Bradley's like, oh, Chad's meeting with these guys, so to me... As a 43-year-old man, I just see what you're doing and say, okay, this man's just pursuing the Lord. So even for you, I mean, where does this even really start? Does it start in Huntington? We're going to jump into the Navy SEAL thing. I mean, let's just go wherever because our audience, they want to hear the meat and bones of what God did, but they love hearing from personalities who've, who've lived it all. So just Huntington, yeah. were you born and raised here? What? You take over. Yeah, yeah, Huntington Beach. I remember, yeah, we were running into each other in the early, early days. I was yep. a brand new believer and out there doing the open air preaching in the Pier Plaza, Huntington, with great comfort. And yeah. Yeah, very cool. So time flies. Um, really, I guess it started for me, yeah, in Huntington Beach. Uh, yep. Pretty much born and, and raised. Yep. Uh, I was really into skateboarding growing up. Never quite got to the levels that, that you got to, but uh, yeah. I was sponsored by Van Shoes. Okay, I did, I did that's a, a big deal. Of, that's a real uh, sponsor. Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> Beetle Rosecrans, he was the uh, like the team manager at the time. He, he saw me just kind of doing a line down the sidewalk said, hey, man, you ever wanted to get sponsored? Yeah. You know, send me send me a video. And he like, gave me a business card. And so I put, I was so excited, put together this video, of, like do kick flips, front side flips, like, handrails. Okay. Sure uh, enough, yeah. Ocean View High School still has some handrails. Dude, over send there, me yeah. the footage and we'll drop them in the corner on the YouTube. We'll get it going. Bro, that's hey. on cassette. I don't even know how to get that. We we'll could see. thrift store, get a VHS, and do something. Yeah, that's Definitely crazy cool, though. That. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought that was the route that I was going to go. I thought yep. that I wanted to be a, a pro skater, uh, but eventually I kind of got burned out on it. And what really began to get my interest—it's funny. Yeah. What, Pulled me away from skateboarding uh, was getting into uh, fishing out in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this the the thrill of it. I started working <laughs> on these sport fishing boats as a as a teenager. I would hop on these boats on a Friday night and yep. not get back till Monday morning. My folks would be picking me up, 
And I'd be out there on that boat, you know, working 18 hours, 20 hours, like yeah. each day, only getting a couple hours of sleep, but man, pulling in the cash, you know, I'm a teenage kid pulling yeah. in 500 bucks a night, you know, cutting these fish, these albacore, yeah. yellowfin tuna, yellowtail. And so <laughs> I thought, man, I, I could do this for the rest of my life. I just love being out here on the ocean and catching tuna. And I started attending the local community college after high school i'm not yep. really skateboarding anymore i'm not doing the competing and so yeah. the, the sponsorship dropped out i just didn't no want more to drive vans. around all over the place no more vans and that was my identity and i didn't realize that hmm. it's like all the friends all the people that i knew it seemed as though they were really only attracted to me because i yeah. had this sort of status as you know the the skateboarder sponsored by van shoes yeah and yeah. now that i don't have that status anymore it was like those fair feather fair weather friends began yeah. to kind of fade away and I almost went through this like identity crisis of like, who am I at such a young mm -hmm. age, like 18 years old, <laughs> attained the local community college, and now I'm not skateboarding anymore. I'm kind of getting burned out on the regular fishing, yeah. and I'm failing all my classes. And yeah. really, it's because it's just it's my own fault. I'm not showing up. And this I is finishing high up. school, going to college. So did you go to Huntington yes. or, or Ocean View or where? Uh, you Marina in? High School until yeah. I, was a, okay. I was a junior. Yeah. And then my folks ended up moving downtown. I actually did a semester at a Christian school, but it just wasn't a fit at the time, that Calvary Chapel. Uh, and then I ended up at Huntington High School and graduated from Huntington because my folks moved well, downtown. Well, only so people, you know, you don't get this because you take it for granted like my wife does or my kids. You know, you're living in California, Mecca. I mean, I came here at 15. You're seeing the newest product, newest skateboards, newest surfboards. You're so cultured that skating is a big thing. You have the jocks. You have kind of the punk kids, the straight edge kids. Because you're how old? You're 39. Yeah, you're only 39. So, I mean, I feel like I'm young because I'm 43. But so you would have been a couple of years after my wife in those schools, probably would have seen her around. But for you to be a skater getting sponsored would have made you stand out. Now you're 18. Where are the friends? What am I doing? And you're not doing so good in school. Not that you weren't smart. You were just flaking or didn't, didn't care. Yeah, just terrible. I had no aspirations to perform academically whatsoever. And so <laughs> while I had some friends that were already making their plan on what four-year college they're going to be going to, they already figured out what their major is. They know what career the path they're going to take. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so it just hit me one day as I go pulling into the parking lot. I'm about to take finals for – a test that I didn't even study for. I don't mm -hmm. stand a chance of passing it. Mm -hmm. And that's when it just hit me in this face. It's like, like realization of like, what am I doing, man? I am turning out to be a complete loser. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, kind of yeah. guy that no young man wants to be. Yeah. Spicoli so, or someone from a movie, just like whatever you're doing. Yeah. Right. I'm just thinking, how do I turn this around? I'm desperate. Yeah. I know yeah. I'm not making it academically. I'm not going to figure out what I'm going to do in school, <laughs> like right here in this parking lot. I know that school is just really not in the cards for me right now. So how do I turn this ship around? Yeah. And I just start brainstorming. And as I'm sitting there in my truck, this first idea that comes to mind yeah. that I think is maybe the plan to go with, it's, it's the perfect plan really, is I know what to do. Go and become <laughs> An Alaskan crab fisherman. <laughs> you know, it's like deadliest catch is out. It's one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. And so that was attractive to me, especially as a young guy. While you're I sitting wanna, in your truck, that's what you're thinking. Yeah, I, I want to work hard. I was working on these sport fishing boats already. And then I would be working sometimes with some of these other deckhands or captains that have gone off to Alaska and they've mm -hmm. gone and done that thing. Yeah. And so they're telling me all the tales of what it's like to be out there in the Bering Sea and the hard work and how you really put your life on the line. It is yeah. one of the most dangerous jobs. 
but at the same time you get paid and you yeah, get yeah. paid well for doing it. Yeah. And so that was probably something in my wheelhouse. I wanted to that was difficult. possible. Yeah. Very, very possible. In fact, the, maybe this podcast wouldn't have been happening if I just would have, you know, yeah. gone with that right away. But that's um, what I'm saying because you're so driven. I mean, I don't know someone who's 16, 17 that goes on boats with grown men and rips through lines and reels and fish. So you had this drive to just be physical, do stuff, commit to a mission, but not not to do stuff in school. You're just like, whatever. Dude, I'm almost the same way instead of this day. It's like people think that Navy SEALs are just so full of discipline. It's like, yeah, but I, I got to have a passion for what I'm doing. I got to have some type of love. I get, yeah, I get it. It's yeah. like Nietzsche says that he yeah. who has a why can endure any how. Yeah, and so yeah. I just didn't really have a purpose for being at school at that time. Yeah, and so the other idea that popped into my head is, wait a minute, why can't I go join the military? And not just that, like if I'm going to go, I want to go all the way. I want the Alaskan crab fishing version of the military. Like I want to go through the most difficult, <laughs> grueling military training. I want to be a Navy SEAL. You know, because I would just always wonder if I didn't go for being a SEAL, ah, yeah, you know, could I have made it or not? So I didn't, didn't want to go for anything like second or third rung of the ladder. And so sitting there in the truck, I just think to myself, it's my, I'm just about to go take these tests. Like, that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> and so right away, I thought, well, the first step, my first order of business is this. If I'm going to be a Navy SEAL, I don't need to go to school anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started the truck up and just burned out of that parking lot, took off. And I remember Let me tell away. you this, right? As I was listening to your story the other day, when you were bringing up this part, I was driving past Golden West College on yes. the way to the Gracie gym. And there's like Dude. a donut, you know, the, the thingy Dunkin' Donuts. And I'm like, and as you're saying it, I'm picturing you under some tree contemplating and then like er, peel out. And then. Yes. 100%. I still know the spot. So when I drive past that spot, Hobby Lobby to the right used to be towards the oh, rest. It's yeah. not there anymore. And the parking lot. It- it was underneath one of those yeah, trees. Yeah. And I'll point the spot out to my kids when we're driving. Yeah, hey, there's the spot that daddy decided to go become a seal. And so I got to figure out, yeah, uh, how many push-ups can I do and yeah. pull-ups? And and so there was a local school where I was able to knock out some pull-up bar, like pull-ups and dips and just kind of add up yeah. the numbers, assess the situation. And then I just start taking this kind of serious. I'm preparing, but I got to let my dad know some seriously bad news. Yeah, and yeah. good news. He had no idea what was going on that year at school. I always kind of played it off like I was always attending. I knew I was going to have to face the music eventually. Now I got to let him know. It's all mounted up to this point. Like bad news is I'm not passing any of my classes at school. <laughs> all that time you thought I was going, I missed out a lot. I'm failing. But you weren't and just sitting around. Just, you were surfing, right? You, you were like doing stuff. I was stuff. surfing. I was doing dumb stuff, man. Yeah, I was – I was. We would go to the candy machine and bust out the the sweet tarts candy. Me and my friends at the school. They're good. Yeah. And then we would. They it had an S on one side, a blank side on the other. Mm-hmm. And we would flip it in the air like a coin. And if it landed on S, that meant we get to go surfing today. We don't got to go to school. And so we we're always going for that S. If we didn't get the S, we go best out of three. <laughs> and then we go best out of five. Oh, no. 
sometimes we would just take it all the way up. We're going best out of 12. We're <laughs> still not winning here. But we're like, it's a good day to go surfing. Let's go surf. And you're not affirming so, this behavior. You're not affirming this for our 10-year-old, 15-year-old listeners. No, unless God's it, leading you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It did not work out for me. <laughs> hey, remember that guy, Lucky John, down at the pier? The guy yeah, that yeah. The nail in his head? Yeah. So there's this guy, uh, for those of you that are listening, he takes a nail, a legit real nail. The thing's probably like at least seven, eight inches yeah, long. Seven, and a inches. hammer. And he hammers this into yeah. his head. So he's yeah. a street performer. And I think the way that he makes a living is based off of people throwing money into the coffer, into his hat. Yeah. And part of his shtick is, you know, he tells kids as he's hammering in the nail, he goes, kids, make sure you go to college. I did. And it worked out great. And he's still <laughs> the thing I've heard him head. say it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would not suggest just dropping out of college the way mm-hmm. that I did. I've actually mm-hmm. had a lot of young people tell me, I'm going to do what you did. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the good example. There. That's just a disclaimer. So you don't get the yeah. emails from the parents. And um, Chad was young. Yes, he was 18, but surfing. But but your dad was obviously a disciplined man because you knew you would face the music. He was trying to get you on the right track. You have to now go and say, pops, this is what's up. Right. I present the bad news. And he's just like, oh, you know, you could just see his, his brain is hurting. And then he wants to know, because I did throw in that there's some good news. And so he's mm-hmm. like, all right, what's the silver lining here? What's the good news? That's where I'm just waiting for. I can't <laughs> wait to give him my pitch. I'm like, it's okay, dad, because what I'm going to go do, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> and I remember him just kind of looking at me and waiting. And he goes, Chad, just so you know, joining the military is not like anything you have ever done in the past. <laughs> this isn't playing ball or skateboarding. Yeah. This isn't going to the local community college that when you decide you're over it, you could just stop. Mm -hmm. He says, if you join the military, maybe then you find out it's not for you. Or suppose you quit and don't make it through SEAL training just to be clear, just to be clear, you will still be in the military and you're probably going to pick up a job like chipping paint off some boat off the coast of Japan. (laughs) For whatever reason, in that moment, my blood was boiling I knew that I didn't have the greatest track record here, but I also knew I really want to do this. And I could tell mm-hmm. that he's kind of contemplating the possibility like that I won't be able yeah. to do it. And so the kind of guy that I was back then, especially, and still am to, to this day to some degree, yeah. is that if you imply that you think that I can't do something, yeah. and I pick up on the the thought that you, you really do think that, yeah. oh, I got to bolt down on it then. Yeah. I got to go for it. And did and your so dad know I, what I he was doing? Was he, try, was he trying to prod you to like say, let's go then? Or was he like, Chad, there's no way? Like, did he, has he seen you commit to things at least where he's like, maybe this kid could do it? Or you don't even know to this day? He has seen me commit, but at the same, and get good at something like baseball and skateboarding. But yeah. at the same time, he also saw how once I got over it, I'm over it. And so yeah, he's thinking, yeah. what if the same thing happens? This is just something that you could pick up and put down. This is a commitment. Once you sign your name on that line, they got you. And so, yeah, I think he was just really trying to pressure test me a little bit there to see, is this really something you want? Yeah. And so to really follow through on that, I mean, I go storming out of the room. I'm like, I'll show him. And so days are going by. Well, he follows through on that by uh, inviting me back into his room. And he says, so you really want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, dad, I want to do this. He goes, great. I set up a workout for you with the Navy SEAL, check out my computer screen. And I'll never forget looking over there at the screen thinking, my dad doesn't know any Navy SEALs, what is this? And all it says in the email is, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm like, play? 
Like, Dad, let me get this straight. You met some guy off the internet who's saying he wants to play with me, mm-hmm. and you're arranging this meeting right now. And he's like, oh, it's he's a seal. He really is. And I'm like, you can't trust everything someone just – like everything someone tells you on the internet, Dad. There's tons yeah. of fakes out there. He goes, no, this guy's a seal. I'm like, okay, yeah, you just met a Navy seal. And he goes, he's a seal. So I'm like, fine, if you really want me to, I'll go meet up with this guy. Had he known the guy or he just was like looking for some guy? He is, as it turns out, just a master of contacting people that you would never think could be reached. Like, how are you going to get a hold of that guy? Like, he'll get a hold of, like, the CEO of, yeah. you know, whatever company, you know, like, he can get the vice president on the phone in 30 yeah. minutes. It's great. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. Uh, but wow. he's he's a heck of a researcher, <laughs> and he just talks to the right people, figures it all out. So sure enough, he gets this guy on the phone, but there's a backstory that I didn't know about. All I know is this email can Chad come out and play tomorrow? Well, before that email, what he didn't tell me about was a phone conversation that took place. Mm-hmm. And the phone conversation, it went something like this. And I find out about this months later over lunch. <laughs> he gets this guy on the phone. He says, hey, you know, my son, he wants to be a SEAL. But here's the deal. He has no idea what he's signing up for. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what he's getting involved in. And so I'm wondering if you'd be willing to do me as a father a really big favor would you be willing to meet up with my son? And what I'm asking you to do, what I just need you to do, I need you to just crush him. Yeah. Like just annihilate him. Beat it out of him, this desire of becoming a steal. Well, I thought about it for a while. Didn't get the answer on the phone. But after thinking about it, that's what the email was. Hmm. And that's what can Chad come out and play tomorrow meant. Yeah. So – off I go to Oceanside, California, meeting up with a air quotes Navy SEAL in a beach parking lot somewhere. I don't even remember the guy's name, yeah. but this guy points his finger at me in the parking lot yeah. and he's saying, you Chad? Yeah. And I'm looking at him thinking, well, he does look the part. I mean, he looks like something Michelangelo carved out. Like this guy's yeah. the real deal. Chiseled, ripped, like, big. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yes, sir. And yeah. he goes, get on over here, Bubba. And so now I'm Bubba. All right. And I was Bubba from that point forward. He's got me dropped down on the ground. I'm performing for him, whatever he wants me to do, right? These yeah. push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups. Long story short, he sends me off on a run then, out into the wetlands. And so the only direction I'm given from this beach parking lot in Oceanside is go down that dirt trail out into the wetlands, away from the ocean. Just keep going down that trail. 15 minutes into the run, I'll be there with you. You go as fast as you want to go. I've just got some things I'm going to clean up back here, get this stuff thrown back in my truck but 15 minutes in i'll be there so i'm going down this dirt trail i don't know what the final destination is i just have a direction to be going in Mm -hmm. 15 minutes into the run navy seal should be here he's not yeah i'm running a little bit more looking back still not seeing this guy and now as i'm running i start thinking to myself like hey wait a minute maybe maybe i'm too fast for this navy seal he can't catch up on the run and so there's that arrogance right like creeping in this teenage kid and i'm celebrating i remember the names of my friends i was going to go straight to i'm going to be bragging to them this navy seal never even caught up on the run i look over my shoulder again and it is like a scene right out of terminator yeah. 2 the arnold schwarzenegger movie where that bad dude they call him what the t-1000, T-1000 he can like yeah. morph into knife hands yeah. and chase down a moving vehicle I look back, kid you not, that is this Navy SEAL just coming down this trail. Knife hands for me. There's nothing I could do to keep the distance. He's closing in like a, a canine let out of the back of his quad car, right? Mm-hmm. Boom. Catches right up to where I am. 
here I am thinking that we're just competing athletically here. This is a race, a run. No, that's when the physical assault begins. I am greeted by his fist just going right into my stomach. He's knocking the wind out of me. What? The ground, poofing dirt up all around. And now he's jumping on top of me and just ragdolling me. Yeah. I still remember the sound of just the threads of my shirt yeah. ripping as he's throwing me around, screaming in my face. And I don't understand the words that are coming out. This guy's <laughs> just going ballistic, feeling spit rain down, just hitting me in the cheek and the forehead. And you got to put yourself in my shoes for a moment here. Remember, yeah. <laughs> at the time, the only intel I'm operating on is some guy, my dad met off the internet. Now he's got me on the ground in the wetlands. I'm thinking child predator. Like this is all happening right now. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to survive. And as I'm just bearing through it all and he's screaming in my face, suddenly I understand this sentence that comes out. Yeah. He says, you want to be a Navy SEAL? You better stay three paces behind me. And something in that moment, it just all clicked. Mm. I realized this is it. And There's this the mission. is for real. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, and it's not later on in SEAL training. I understand SEAL training is going to be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you have to have this mentality that you'll, you'll die before you quit. But like it or not, it's happening right now. Yeah. So it's not later on in training. It is yeah. right here. Was he like, was it like hitting? Or was he just manhandling you or you're flying everywhere? Or did you feel like you were being assaulted or like he's just really putting a work on you? Oh, I had to cover up. Yeah. Wow. I don't think that he was like trying to knock teeth out. Right. But yeah. I mean, he, it was a body blow with the fist as yeah. hard. And I never saw it coming. He actually Crazy. got ahead of me on the truck just enough to stop. And so I was coming in him full speed. And so yeah. I'm coming in at full speed and I tried to do like a sidestep around yeah. because it's a narrow trail. I tried to do that sidestep and yeah. that's where his fist just stopped me right, right in, in my place. Yeah. Right in the stomach, feet off the ground, just clothesline. <laughs> and when I hit the ground, he was knee on belly, like right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he had me by the, the shirt and that's when he just started ragdolling me and screaming in my face. So <laughs> it was really intense. And so he wants you to go three steps behind. This is the mission. Yeah. You want to be a Navy SEAL, you better stay three paces behind me. And so at one point, he just gets up, turns around, and he just takes off. And I got to stay three paces. He said it one last time, three paces. <laughs> and so everything within me, I mean, I've had the wind knocked out of me plenty of times before in the past as a kid growing up. Yeah. Face planting it, you know, trying to hit handrails. But I never had the wind knocked out of me, out of me quite like this because – this was the wind being knocked out of me. But what was I doing just before that? Yeah. I was running as fast as I could already. Yeah. And so I needed air. Yep. And now that wind's knocked out. And so it was just a singular event. And I adrenaline in this man. Like and the, you just met this guy and he's all, and he's probably a giant muscular like Navy SEAL. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we could pull photos up of him. Yeah. You know, I could probably yeah. do a little screen share or something. Yeah. He's an extraordinary Navy SEAL. I never yeah. met another SEAL. Like, he set the bar. I thought, this guy's the gold standard of what it is to be a SEAL. He's the first SEAL I ever met. Hmm. I was kind of uh, just, wow, when I got to the SEAL teams, yeah. like, nobody was like Scott. Hmm. And so, like, he was everything <laughs> you imagine. Like, people look at me sometimes and they go, you were a SEAL? It's like, yeah, <laughs> you'd be surprised. You know, we're, we're not all, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, Bill, you know. We're pretty normal looking. You can't yeah. distinguish really someone in a SEAL platoon from somebody that's going to go surfing. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's pretty much the look. Yeah. So yeah. I'll get that sometimes. Like, oh, I thought you would be a little bigger or, you know, it's like, <laughs> all right, whatever. Uh, but, <laughs> so 
but he looked the part. Yeah. I mean, he, every, every bit of it. Uh, so you're so, chasing him now. And then is there some bond that happens on the way or how do you get the invite? I'm yeah. Going, I'm going after him. I'm just doing everything I can to stay on his heels. And I mean, I'm telling you, after having gone through SEAL training, which is by far the most difficult military training in the world, hands down, it's the attrition rate. It speaks for itself. Yeah. The, the fewest amount of people make it through that training because of the suffering. Yeah. I could say I never suffered so much in a singular hmm. workout as much as I did on that trail with this Navy SEAL, Scott Helvinston. Wow. Uh, and, and thankfully, thankfully, it came to an end. Yeah. And we get to this point where he's kind of circled up. And I don't know what is going on inside of his head, but it looks like he's got a lot going on inside of his head. Like the guy, <laughs> he's pacing back and forth. He's not speaking to me. He looks like he wants to fight me. I'm getting scared. Like, don't look at him in the eyes because you might set him off. I'm trying to just keep him in my peripheral. Yeah. And as I'm just kind of having this self-dialogue, like, all right, dad, just no direct eye contact. Don't set this guy off. I, I don't want to, like, project to the Navy SEAL that I want to fight him. I'm like this teenage skater kid, you know? Uh, that's when he looks over at me, and he points at me for a second time that day. He goes, hey, if we would have gone another mile or two, would you stay with me? And I just kind of thought about it. And I just shared what came from the heart. I just said, Scott, I'll die before I quit. Well, he just gets this big smile on his face all of a sudden, <laughs> completely changes. I mean, he goes from looking like a cage fighter that wants to rip my face off to now he's like a happy golden retriever. Like bad like, seal, good seal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he's like, you want to meet up again for the workout tomorrow? And I'm thinking, like, are we even going to talk about what just happened? Like, are we going to address the flashback this guy had on the trail? Yeah, yeah. But then I thought, don't bring that up because it might have been a flash. Like, he, I might trigger that again. So yeah. I just thought, I don't know what I'm worth dealing with here. So I gave him a thumbs up. Well, as it turns out, yeah, he got on the phone after all that, told my dad, look, I know what you want me to do. And I gave it a go, but I think your son might have what it takes to make it. Hmm. I'd like to start working with them. So from that point forward, I began to meet with this Navy SEAL, uh, yeah. Scott Helvinston. Yeah. Uh, and, and thankfully, it was no longer a beat down. It, it, I didn't know what I was in for. I thought I had to show up for that every day. And yeah. thankfully, it wasn't that. It was like, if yeah. that's what it takes, I'll do it. From yeah. that point forward, it became more of a building up. Mm. Uh, and I moved on in life eventually from being Bubba uh, <laughs> to suddenly one day, he just starts calling me Junior. You know, he's really <laughs> taking me under his wing. And he was treating me like a son. He became mm. like a second father. And I can say that Scott is extraordinary, not just based off of like the physique that we we're talking about, but I mean, he holds tangible records. Like he's the youngest man to ever make it through SEAL training. No one will ever guess the age of what he completed SEAL training by because you wouldn't think it's possible. Yeah. He completed SEAL training by the time he was 17 years old. Mm. That's not when he started. He finished the program at 17. And that was only possible because of the horrible upbringing that he had. Wow. He grew up in twenty over 20 different foster homes. And so as he's getting passed around, I think at some point the military made a special exception and said, you know what, send us that troubled little teen and, you know, we'll, we'll do something with them. Wow. So he's a SEAL by 17. He's a world champion panathlete. Uh, he's the fastest Navy SEAL on the SEAL training obstacle course. Uh, at the time, he was the only man to beat the beast on a television program called Man vs. Beast, where they put him up against a chimpanzee to go through an obstacle course where the expectation was the monkey's going to win because the beast always wins on this show what's scott do he pulls ahead of this monkey on monkey bars wow I mean, you can't make it up any better beats the beast right 
And so just a phenomenal athlete that I yeah. get to be training with an incredible mentor. And like I said, uh, it's like the family deal. He's like a second father to me. Yeah. And so he got me ready. He got yeah. me definitely ready. Yeah. And so I wind up signing up. I sign up, go to the recruiter's office. It's time to get the date. So my date, it's set. I'm going to be shipping off April 19th. Mm-hmm. And uh, the official date is the 20th, but you travel out on the 19th. Well, Scott takes an opportunity, as he put it, to go overseas one last time. Yeah. Well, his turnaround was quicker than my turnaround. He's actually going to be going out the door before I go out the door. And so he's very patriotic. You know, he's talking about how, you know, who knows, perhaps I can make a difference if the Iraq war is happening at that time. Yeah. And so he hops on the phone with me as he's about to go. He's like, all right, junior, I'm about to go do this thing. And he's referring to going off to Iraq. And he says, I just want you to know something though, right now that I've never told anyone I've ever trained before. Mm. And so I'm listening. And he says, I, I know, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. <laughs> and to hear that uh, from my mentor, man, I, I just, I still to this yeah. day, I don't have the words to describe. I, I, yeah. It meant the world to me. And so he's just reminding me then of just, uh, you know, some housekeeping stuff, you know, like, all right, I'm going to be gone a couple months. You're going to do boot camp. That's yeah. about a couple months. You're going to get back, start SEAL training. By the time you're back and doing SEAL training in San Diego, I'll already be back. I'm going to be there. I'm going to see you make it through. Mm. And so I'm envisioning him kind of being there on the sidelines or checking in with him at the end of the day and just kind of debriefing how everything went. I'm excited. And so we get off the phone and say goodbyes. So now, boom, he's off. And I just have a handful of days before I go. Well, I figure if I can't work out my mentor in person, what's the next best thing? Do some of these workouts we've done together. In the past, I could do it on my own. I know the program. Show him up one day televisions on in the background and as i look over at the screen it's just like ah, i don't even know how to put it it's weird because yeah, what do yeah. i see is scott on tv i'm like what is scott doing on tv again yeah. it's not strange that he's on tv because he's been on tv for a lot of things he's this phenomenal athlete yeah. that he's an uh, icon yeah man versus beast combat missions he's on another you know reality show so i'm just like i thought he said he was going off to Iraq, but maybe he had something he was going to do before that I didn't know about. Yeah. So I'm just trying to like figure out what is this all about. All it shows at this point is like a smiling picture of him. Yeah. And I'm not sure if the volume's down or I'm just not tuned in, but I'm not hearing anything in the background. I'm just yep. looking at the smiling picture of Scott. But that's when I looked at the bottom of the screen, and that's where I saw Scott's birth date followed by Dash. And then it says March 31st, 2004. And before I could process in my mind, really mm. what is just an obvious meaning there, it just wasn't comporting in yeah. my brain. Yeah. And now it switches from this great smiling picture of him to mm. now I'm looking at its graphic video footage of a vehicle that's engulfed in flames in Fallujah, Iraq, yeah. which turned out to be the very vehicle that he was in, along with three other Americans, as this group of insurgents had ambushed the vehicle and they videotaped everything they were doing. So as they're documenting this, now they've taken this footage and they're spreading it around the world and the media is playing some of these scenes where now I'm seeing Scott and these others getting ripped out of the vehicles and they're lifeless. And this angry Iraqi mob now, they're they're, they're picking up sticks and rods and encircling their mm. bodies and now they're just doing everything they can to beat on their bodies and, 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 and trying to mutilate them. And I'm just glued to the screen yeah, And I'm watching them now find rope and they're wrapping it around their legs. They're hooking them up to vehicles. 
And these guys go dragging them through the streets of Fallujah, these dirt streets. And the crowd, you could just see to them, this was like a 4th of July parade. Yeah. It's I like remember the, this the, stuff happening back then. Yeah. yeah. The glee on their faces as they're doing something that's unspeakable. Hmm. Dragging them through the streets. They arrive at the Euphrates River Bridge, string their bodies upside down. And then they set their bodies on fire. And then they go back to the camera and they chant into the camera, just face to face like yeah, this. They're chanting yeah. over and over as they're cheering. They're saying, Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans. Fallujah's the graveyard wow. of Americans. I think needless to say, I'll never have the words to describe what that moment yeah. and all the surrounding moments were like. I definitely yeah. went through what you could say was like the full spectrum of just how you deal with like tragedy and grief, like all the different emotions that come with it. And one of the things that I really did land on, though, yeah. was this sense of just absolute hatred and revenge. Yeah, I I, I wanted to get through that TV screen yeah, somehow find those their people. hands and rip their hearts out, their yeah. their esophagus, w- without any training. Yeah. You know, just go yeah. over there as a civilian. I, I I I just throw myself at them recklessly. I don't care. Yeah, that's just kind of where I was at. And, and, and I do think that there's something worth, you know, maybe taking away from all this for all the, yeah. the people that are watching or listening right now, Yeah. looking back on it. And it has to do with like how we deal as human beings, how we deal with adversity. Yeah. And so adversity comes in a lot of different forms. It's a very broad brush. Yeah. And nobody listening right now has lived this long in life and not gone through some of it. So we've all tasted adversity to some degree. Yeah, And the thing I think that we all have to come to grips with is that none of us is immune to facing more. Some of the people right now might actually be in the midst of it as we speak. You really never know what somebody's going through. You know, they could be a certain person on the outside. Uh, Others, things might be good. I would say things in my life are probably pretty good right now. Kind of feel Mm. like I'm I'm basking in the sun. But I do know that eventually there will be another storm. You know, yeah. these things come in seasons. I will be dashed upon the rocks. Yeah. You know, it's like that movie, The Count of Monte Cristo. It's like what you do when that storm comes that makes you a man. Yeah. And so you can't control the fact that there is a dark cloud on its way. There is a storm coming. And the yeah. thing is, you don't get a custom pick what kind of cloud it is that you face, whether yeah. it's going to be some rain or hail. The adversity that you face in life catches you off guard, typically by surprise. There's no custom choosing it. It just runs you over like some kind of a a hurricane or a tornado. And so while you cannot control the the fact that you're going to face adversity in the future, Mm. remember, I don't say that in terms of being a downer. I say it in terms of prior preparation because you do still have control. And the thing you have control over is really the most important determining factor of how you go forward. You control how you respond. Yeah. So you can't control what you face, but you control how you respond. And yeah. so you, you are the determiner of what we could say. You'll, will you allow that adversity to be a wing or a weight? Yeah. Will it be a weight wrapped around your legs that just sinks you, leaves you knocked down, never yeah. to get back up again? People see what he or she got hit with and they go, yeah, they're out for the count. They're not resurfacing. There's mm-hmm. no coming back. Or you find a wing in the moment somehow which is really just you're looking for that way to get up off the ground and rise to the occasion. Yeah. Here's the big lesson. Here's what we call it in the SEAL teams. This is actually part of our SEAL creed. We call it being forged by adversity. Mm. And so adversity that you face in life will 
either be that thing that causes you to utterly fail or you will be forged by it. Now, where you find that wing, where that forging process begins in those circumstances is very circumstantial. It's case by case. I, I can share in terms of inspiration, maybe the way that I found that wing, the way I got up off the ground with that storm. Yeah, was reflecting back on the last conversation I had with Scott. And as I thought about what we talked about, I remembered what he said. He said, Mm. Junior, I know (laughs) you're going to make it through SEAL training. Mm. Those words, I I, I wrote his name on the inside bill of my hat as a constant reminder then going through training that I'm going to do this. I'm doing it for so much more. I'm doing an honor and memory of him. Amen. I I, want to walk in his footsteps. And at the time, at the time, I wanted some revenge. I want to get some get back. Well, because he was probably contracted out to do something, right? Someone there knew. They ambushed it somehow. Mm-hmm. And Chad, do you feel like, because I know you are, but when you get to share this, you're really honoring him. Like when I heard you talk about it in the past, I looked it up, look at this man's life. I think about you, feel compassion for you. And I'm like, he invested, sold into you. Mm-hmm. And you get to continue pouring that out. But to your point, you know, what we face I've talked about it many times on the podcast. My wife's woman passed away two years ago. She still deals with it. Anytime she does, people are like, I can't imagine what it's like to lose my mom or, oh, when I lost so-and-so. So the way this world speaks to you was biblically, we are set where creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. We watch our grandparents, then our parents, then our kids will wash us. Where for you, it was so radical because you're seeing potentially what you're going into. It's like watching a guy get wrecked on a handrail. I'm like, I'm still going to be a skater, but you're going in. But your last point was this fuel, this passion, this revenge. You didn't know the Lord yet. We're not affirming going and attacking a bunch of people in Fallujah as Christians, unless you're attacking them with the gospel in love. But I've seen some of those images even back then and the times you've posted years ago when you said this, I was like, wow, I remember you sharing his story. So you are fueled with revenge. You're still going in. How did your dad look at this for you? Was he heartbroken for you? Because now he's a family friend, right? Family friend. It was both my parents. Uh, they were just floored by this. Uh, and I mean, it was very uh, it was very dramatic in the household for a while there because, you know, they're they're like, hey, you don't have to go through with this. They don't want their son to go and engage in this. We thought of Scott as a family. We thought this guy yeah. He's a Navy SEAL. He's invincible. Yeah. Like you could, you could put him in a room with a hundred guys trying to kill him. He's going to fight his way He's out. He's coming out. <laughs> yeah. And so for them, they're like, if this could happen to him, it could happen to our own son. Yeah. And so they really did not want me to go. I had my, my mom cried like I'd never seen her cry before. She was trying to persuade me not to go through with it. But yeah. I just felt so steeled in this resolve that I have to go through with this. I got to yeah. do it. And so for them, I mean, they meant it in love, but they actually brought me into the room and they would pull the scenes up and show Scott hanging from the bridge. And it was just out of a lot of emotion, you know, and, you know, my mom crying and, and they're saying, they're pointing to it and looking at me and they're saying, look at him, look at him. We don't want this to be you. Right. Yeah. This is what they did to him. You know, we, we don't want it to happen to you. But the more I looked, it was like the more I felt like <laughs> I'm doing this yeah. all for so much The quest more. was there. You're three steps behind. You're going to get beat up in the park. You're ready to go. Scott, I'm doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was almost like uh, to me, 
you know, he wasn't saying, thus saith the Lord, but it was almost like a, an unfulfilled prophecy that I had to go fulfill. He says, Elijah to Elisha. Yeah. yeah, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And for a long time, I didn't talk about Scott, you know, and, and what had happened because yeah. frankly, it was just, it was too hard to like resurface, you know, some of those, those things. I just really internalized it. I never realized just how much I internalized it. Until, and you were young, right? You were like 19, 20. How old yeah, were you? Yeah, at that time I was 19 years old. You hadn't hit um, 24, 25, where you kind of come down from the puberty stage and kind of like breathe a little bit. Yeah. I, I just knew I got to do this for him. I got to do it for so much more. Eventually, the, the healing to some degree, I would say, like I, like I did not realize how much I balled this stuff up. It finally started to kind of come out when I, when I started considering writing the book. When I started hmm. writing the book, I had to start retelling stories. And that's like weird, man, because I finally actually was dealing with it. I realized that before that, I really just kind of drank it away. And that was always like such a wild card. Like if I, I, I would try and, and, and drink with friends, hoping that it would like yeah. suppress it. And sometimes it would suppress it, but other times it would completely amplify it. The rage right? would come out and you'd go, yeah. Yeah. Or just like, just, just, is it real? You know, like how did this happen? Yeah. And so, uh, I ended up going in and, and I wrote his name, like I said, on the inside of my hat and I got my day at training, you know, SEAL training. It has a pretty good argument for being the most difficult military training in the world, hands down. I think most people are aware of that yeah. reputation. Um, <laughs> really. Uh, and you're not a believer, Joyce. right? You're not a believer in any sense. Like was your family believers or no? I believe in God and I would call myself a Christian, but here's the thing. I knew everything about the way I was living my life at that time was uh, back turned on God. Mm. It's like I would call out to God whenever I was in trouble. If I had a difficult time in training, I would be like, oh, God, please help me. And I would make deals with God. I knew I wasn't living right. And so I would say stuff like, if you just get me through this, I promise I will follow you. I, Mm. I will get on the straight and narrow. (laughs) Because I knew I wasn't. And then somehow I would wind up like getting through whatever I needed to get through. And I Mm -hmm. do believe God is working in the shadows of my life back then. Yeah. Uh, But suddenly I would have a little spiritual amnesia, kind of forget about the deal I made, you know? Yeah. And and so it's like, all right, well, see you next fall, Lord. You know, like see you whenever I'm in trouble again. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, at the time I I just, I was, I was living a life that was very displeasing to God. Um, and you know, even my folks, they would see me come home sometimes just, uh, totally inebriated. And I remember one morning waking up just ankle completely just twisted. I, I I did something bad to it. I'm limping. And my mom's like, Hey, what happened to you? I go, I don't know. I was out drinking last night and, but this is pretty serious because I got to go run like 10 miles over at the seal command. And she's just saying, Oh, I was praying. I was praying that the Lord would get your attention. And I'm thinking to myself, like, these are your prayers. This did that to my ankle. <laughs> Stop, Stop praying for me, yeah. Mo. My Stop. ankle's almost broke. <laughs> so whenever they they told me that they were praying for me because they're concerned about me, uh, I always called it praying against me. I just say, <laughs> "Stop praying against me." <laughs> oh, no. And so uh, I ended up making it through training, all steel training. Uh, started the class of 173 guys, and by graduation day, the there's only 13 of that original class number still standing there. So I think the numbers speak for themselves. And Isn't that, that radical? Like I've heard it, but it's that radical. Like do you know any of your friends, people that you could have said, I think that guy could have done it? 
Or is it just that? Is it a mind thing, a body thing? Because I know even in jiu-jitsu, I've known it for six years now, but when you start and people start pressuring you, your, your professor will do it over and over and over, never be in choke, mm. never be in neon belly, never be in whatever. If you feel anxious, you feel you suffocate when you're doing push-ups mm-hmm. and you're saying, is it that radical? Like I know it is, but but from you. You can never pick out the guys that will make it and the guys that won't. You just can't. You can mm. try and you will be surprised every time. In my class, there was a guy that we all thought, you know, oh man, he's he's the seed. He's the pick. He's the stud of the class. He was always ahead of everybody else on everything we ever did athletically. He was the number one guy. So the debate was, okay, when we're at the starting line, who's grabbing second place? Because we know who's going to be in first place. He's the athlete stood, whatever, yeah. Just bored and bred. Like when you have an idea of like what it is to be a Navy SEAL and you picture it in your head, this guy fit the mold. <laughs> you know, he, he, he was blessed with whatever DNA that produced the muscle, the stamina, to where there's never a question over who's getting first. It's this guy. Yeah. And then there's another guy in my class. Alex and this guy, he just, I don't know what he used to do. I don't think he used to do anything. At least some of us, we have some kind of background, right? I played sports. <laughs> I was skateboarded. I surfed. This guy just rolled off the couch one day, like unplugged the electronics, stopped being a video gamer and just decided he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> and somehow he made it. The surprise was, dude, how did you even make it through the entry? Like, how did you make it through the bare minimum requirements to get here yeah what did they see in certain, him yeah yeah and so it's an insult that he's even there like he shouldn't even be here with us he makes all of us look bad i thought to myself along with a lot of the, lot of other guys like not only will he quit he's going to be the first guy to quit mm. well the irony is that by the time we get to hell week which is the most difficult part of seal training well who's amongst the first to quit that stud of the class wow. that guy that everybody picked out as he'll be there for graduation day who was one of the guys that made it all the way through that pipeline and became a Navy SEAL. Alex, that runt of the litter, the locker room talk, the guy wow. that was always in the back. And so I think what that demonstrates really is the truth of our SEAL creed that people don't understand sometimes is that it says of the Navy SEAL, it's not mm-hmm. the uncommon man. It's the common man with uncommon desire to succeed. And so the mm-hmm. key word there being desire, it's not DNA. You know, it's, it's DNA doesn't determine your destiny. Yeah. Uh, it's not outward appearances. And we know that's biblical, you know, God <laughs> says even of, of, uh, Saul, you know, that he says, I don't, I don't look at man the same way that man mm-hmm. looks at man. Cause what does man do? We look at the outward appearance. Yeah. What does the Lord do? He looks at the heart. Yeah. And he was actually saying that in re- reference to like David, who yeah. was by the runs. I mean, yeah. All measurements, yeah, the last to be picked. Saul was a foot even, over, yeah. Right. And he, and David wasn't even, like, in the lineup. They're like, he's, Jesse's like, is this, this is all the sons, Jesse? <laughs> like, oh, I got one other one out there, but you don't want him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the one, you know? That's God's anointed. And what do we know about little David? Something yeah. about the heart. Yeah. He had a heart after God's, God's own heart. heart. Yeah. And so the scriptures over and over are so clear that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong mm. on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. Yeah. And and so that's just something that I think the world has grasped onto, at least to some degree as well. It's like any truth that you ever discover in the world, yeah. it's always going to find 
and that truth rooted back in the truth, back in the yeah. scripture. Yeah. And so the creed says it's the common man, but with uncommon desire to succeed. It really comes down to desire mindset. It comes down to that heart. Yeah. How and, bad do you want it? And this guy just got off the couch, was obsessed with beating video games, and now wanted to beat the SEAL game, or so he yeah. thought. And yeah. so did that. You, you, you're you graduating, um, and there's, what, 13 of you, you said, out of 170-something? 173 showed up originally that, that first day of training, and, and out of that 173, the only ones that were still standing there is 13 of that original number. They graduated but, us along with some other uh, – uh, other guys that were in previous classes that had kind of like rolled out because of injuries, but then they rolled into our class, like maybe along the way. Uh, but it was only 13 of that original 173. But you shared something I heard that was kind of crazy. I didn't know about the seals. Like, like on the day of graduation, like they give you that dog and then what happens that's crazy. What What, what is that? Oh yeah. You want to get into the most difficult part of seal training. Yeah. So, I mean, the most difficult day of SEAL training is, uh, it's not hell week, you know, like a lot of people think, I think that they know, uh, really yeah. the most difficult part of training comes, uh, it, it's the day before you graduate. Yeah. Kind of set that up for people to really understand. And, you know, I, I guess I could share something a little exclusive, yeah. you know, with your listeners, because this isn't recorded in any SEAL book. Yeah, I was shocked. Not my book. Yeah. That's blurry. <laughs> I'll put it it's up. It's not on the any. Screen. It's not any seal movie, hmm. and it comes just the day before you graduate uh, to set it up. Uh, the first day of training, amongst all the tortures that these instructors put you through, I mean, you're just doing thousands of push-ups and pull-ups and sit-ups. You're running hundreds of miles throughout seal training. Yeah, I think that what might come as a surprise is that most people know we use dogs in our seal teams in our platoons. Yeah. You see on social media now, but what you might not know is that you get a dog in the beginning of training. And that might sound kind of cool. You know, you get them young as a little puppy. Yeah. Oh, you get this little dog in training. Awesome. Now, yeah. here's the thing. The last thing you want to deal with at the end of a very long day of training is some whiny, poopy, pink dog keeping you yeah. up all night. This animal is like a little torture device. The instructors, they know the sleep deprivation this animal is going to put you through. They love it. Uh, but you know that saying, man's best friend. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Like whether you like it or not, this dog does begin to kind of grow on you. Yeah. You know, you're looking out for him. You bond. It's ally. like trying yeah. to get on the bed with you and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I named my dog Nacho. Nacho. You joke around. Like we give the tips <laughs> to the kids. Uh, but like I said, getting around to this most difficult day of training, mm. the day before you graduate, it's the most difficult because in order to demonstrate that as a Navy SEAL, you are prepared. Yeah. If this is what's required of you. To take life, you have yeah. to take this dog that you've loved and looked out for, and with your own bare hands, you have to turn and yeah. break its neck. Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> playing with you. <laughs> if you are watching this on YouTube, yeah. please watch mine and Chad's <laughs> bad acting because I'm like yeah. sipping cups to hide uh, my yeah. face. But I watched you say that to the church you at do, Jack yeah. Hibbs Church, and they uh, were all like, "Oh." And then oh, you said, yeah. no, it was a cat. And then yeah, they were all laughing. Yeah. <laughs> but no, but so, <laughs> but obviously guys, they're, 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 he's not saying drop out of college and flip a coin. He's not saying kill your dog. Um, we're joking. Make it lighthearted. Because Chad, to be honest, you've shared some radical stuff just then. And praise God that you've, you know, gotten through all this and we honor your fallen friend and all the rest. But for you now, so you're graduating. It was a couple of months. Then you're doing SEAL training. 
Where does this um, revenge go and how does Jesus get a hold of this drunk Chad? Did you ever get in like fights and jump off the pier or something like that? Was that you yeah. or like what what happened? Because <laughs> I'm HB Loke, so what, what happened? I have jumped off that pier so many times. I only got caught for doing it once. And that's a whole nother story of, you know what? Maybe we'll share that story towards the end there because it's, an, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just share right now. Yeah. So just thinking that, you know, when I decide I want to become a SEAL, yeah. for whatever reason, I mean, good goal, go become a SEAL. Yeah. But I was going about it the wrong way. Before I met Scott, you know, I'm training and I'm kind of doing my own little training. I became convinced, I convinced myself that if I want to be a SEAL, there's certain things that I ought to be able to do. One of those things is I should be able to go jump off the Huntington Beach Pier illegally and avoid getting caught. I should be able to evade any kind of like lifeguards or law enforcement. And so I had a way of doing it where I would go to the very end of the pier and in front of everybody, jump off that pier. I'd go swim under the water. Then they'd never know like, where did the guy go? Yeah. And I'd swim back. I'd backtrack under the pier to yeah. the people on the pier. They couldn't see me. And then I would use each pylon as a sort of like cover and so i'd hold my breath i would go uh, swim underwater to the next pylon pop up get air go to the next pylon pop up get air so even if they saw me jump off the pier and they're trying to catch me they would never know like where did i go and at what point did i swim in they wouldn't see me swimming in yeah and there's a certain point for anyone that's been to huntington beach all you gotta do is look at like video or photos there's a certain point where once you start getting into that like waist deep water, there's yeah. crowds of people. Yeah. And so I would start working my way in on these pylons and then I would go for one big breath hold underwater. I would swim out towards the crowd of people yeah, and then yeah. I would just pop up like so that I just look like another person like, in where's the water he going? playing around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they would never – they would just never know. Well, I brought a friend one time. That was my mistake. I brought a friend that wanted to be a steel. We actually ended up in the same class. We ended up in the same buds class. And I, I said, dude, this is what I've been doing. We should do this together. He's like, I don't know, man. Is it cold? And I called the surf report that day, 714-536-9303. And it was really cold. It was going to be 53 degrees. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, I shouldn't tell him that. And, you know, we're not doing this with a wetsuit. And so I was trying to kind of let him know, here's what we're in for. We're going to jump off the pier. Here's the plan. We're going to swim to these pylons, underwater, all this. I'm like, look, dude, it's going to be cold. It's going to be shocking. It's going to take your breath away. But calm down. We need to know how to do this. We're SEAL training. Yeah. I go, but here's my real big thing is that no matter how tired you get or no matter how, like, fearful you become, whatever you do, do not grab onto the pylons. Because those things are loaded up with barnacles and Slice those barnacles, those shells, they're razor sharp. Yeah. I was like, dude, they will cut you up. So just don't grab on. You understand? Yeah. I wanted to make sure you understood. He goes, I got it. So we go jump off together. I'm working my way in, doing my thing. I get to you know the crowd of the people. I'm one of the people in the water now. And I'm watching him. <laughs> and as I'm watching him, what do I see? He's like halfway back and this wave is lifting him up and he goes and grabs on, oh, bear no. hugs the pylons. Yeah. And then the wave goes back down, and, but he's up in the midair now, just all of his body weight on the pylons. And then he's like falling off. And now I see all this commotion going on. I see lifeguards. They're grabbing their floats. They're running down towards him. These surfers are being good Samaritans. They're like, 
paddling over to him. They think like, he's dying he's or drowning. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm just screaming from the shoreline like, no, no. Mm. Like I basically don't want him to be a big baby and swim out all yeah. his attention right now. Yeah. Like don't accept any of this help. Like we need to get out of here. I could see the blood from the shore. Like that's how it was already happening, wow. right? He's all cut up. So that he's laid out on this surfboard. The surfer's bringing him in. The lifeguard's bringing him in. And I'm kind of watching from a distance like, dude, shoot, man. Like my buddy, he's busted. And I see how they're bandaging him up. And I kind of start like working my way a little bit closer to like what's going on with him. And I realize as they're like asking him questions, like how do you feel? They're checking his vitals. They're getting him all bandaged up. They don't know he jumped off the pier. They think that he was just some random out there like a swimmer. Yeah. And so I, I work my way right up to where he is now. I'm, I'm right there with him. And he's cold, you know, he's doing the yeah. shiver, shake yeah. and everything. And I tell him like, hey, dude, they don't know that we jumped off the pier. They're going to figure it out though. We need to go. And he just couldn't move. He's wow. like, oh, they gave him a blanket. He's like, oh, it's okay. You, you, you go without me. I go, no, dude, I'm not going to leave without you, but stop being a sissy. Get up. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, oh. he's like, he just, he was like, just accepting all the help that they're giving him. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, man. So I'm just standing there with them. Sure enough, there was people that were at the end of the pier, a crowd of people that saw us jump, and now they're walking back, and they look over, and they they point at us, and they go, hey, they just shout it out. There's those guys that jumped off the pier, and the lifeguard, he's got his like walkie-talkie, he's got his glasses on, and I'm staring at him, and I'm thinking, this is as close as you get to me, because I'm in the best shape of my life. This guy is not catching me. And so I look at my friend, Brian. I'm like, Brian. Let's go. And I'm thinking we're going to go. And he's like, no, man, no. I'm like, dude, let's go. And the lifeguard's trying to block me right now, like to keep me from getting away. And he's like, I'm not going. And I'm like, dude, all right. He said, like, go without me. I'm like, I'm not going to run and bail. So you on had him. to be a seal and stay with him. You were like, I'm not going to. Never leave a man behind. Yeah. <sighs> and so I was so bummed that he wasn't willing to do that. And now I'm looking at this lifeguard. And he's he's giving us a ticket. We're getting a ticket for jumping off the pier. And I couldn't believe it. And I had already signed up for the Navy. And you got to give them any kind of like background, whatever, speeding tickets you've ever gotten. Yeah. And they make a real big point like, hey, don't don't ever don't ever get any like yeah. in, in any trouble. Any violation like, at all. From this point forward, you know, it could really yeah. mess everything up. And so I'm looking at this lifeguard and I'm just being mouthy towards him. I'm like, dude, you are pathetic. You didn't even have me. I came back and you're still going to give me a ticket. I'm like, do you even know what you're doing right now? Did you tell him I'm going in for SEAL training? So I told him, like, this is in my book. I was like, dude, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. You realize what this is going to do? Like, this is going to ruin my chances. I'm like, you're just, I can't believe you're doing this. Yeah. Um, And I just get mouthy. You're just a lifeguard. You're just oh, a lifeguard. No. I'm going to go do something with. And finally, the guy looks at me. He goes, "Oh, you, you're going to be a steal." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going to be a steal." And, and I go, "But you could be messing everything up right now." He goes, "Well, I know the XO of SEAL Team One. So, do you want me to let him know you're coming?" And I'm like, "Oop!" <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's when you learn to listen. When we used to go oh, skate, man. and the cops would show up and be like, "Who did what?" I tell everyone, "Do not talk back. Let him get his respect out." He's normally cool, but once you mouth off, so you both got tickets. Was it like a court thing or just, yeah, it was a fine. 
And he explained that. He said, look, dude, this isn't as big of a deal as you think. It's oh, okay. it's it's just a ticket. You go to city council, you know, the building over there, you pay yeah. like 110 bucks or whatever. It's like a tin goes, ticket or something like that. Yeah. yeah. He says if you did it a second time, that's where it would it would be a bigger deal, you know, but just don't do it again. It's Man, I've like, never oh, done it, so right. maybe I need to go get one out. Yeah, yeah, go you, get, you got you got one in you. <laughs> Tell you what, just don't hang on to the pylons. I know. Fine. I'm picturing it, but yeah. so this is all this is all going on, and and some of the things I've heard you really share that I think is relevant for listeners. Look, I started skating at 13, came to America. Does that really matter? Like, no, but yes, because I was looking at those magazines, looking at those videos, listening to the music. You know, you're talking about Vans. My goal was to skate. I gain that world, you know, still losing my soul. I know you've shared on that a lot. But to be a SEAL, just you saying it is like, this dude's a SEAL. Like, I know we're friends, but like, you're a SEAL. You know, it's like, it's cool in that sense. It's celebrated in America. I mean, for your friend who passed, look at what he gave his life for. You know what I mean? So you're doing this. You're in the training. You get through. You don't kill the dog or the cat, actually. And then you're, you're a Navy SEAL. Like, like, what's happening then? Lead us into that and kind of how that, that deals with you. Yeah. I remember that graduation day. It was one of the happiest, most fulfilling moments of my life. Mm-hmm. I remember exactly where I was at as I was making the walk and looking up and thinking, Scott, we did this. I had his name on the inside of that hat. Wow. I'm looking out there at the people that are there to see us graduate. I see the family. I see friends there. Even friends of mine that said, you could do a lot, Chad, but I don't know if you could be a SEAL. Well, there they are for graduation day. You made sure I, they were there. Yeah. <laughs> I, and they're like, I knew you'd make it. I, I always knew you would. It's like, yeah, you were singing a different tune before. Uh, and so you get this trident, which is our insignia, pinned into the chest that says, you know, mm. welcome to the brotherhood. This is your new identity. And so now I'm putting on this whole new identity that to me, it's like, it was something to be a skateboarder. It was something to be yeah. into baseball. It was something to be into the fishing. But this is my new identity. I'm a Navy SEAL. One of the happiest, most fulfilling mm. moments of my life. Crazy part is, yeah. and I'm just being honest with everybody, it didn't take more than 24 hours before I felt the wind slowly kind of just drift out of that sail. Mm-hmm. And everything in life just seemed to slowly go downhill and yeah. circle the drain from that point forward. And I couldn't wrap my mind around why at the time, because I'm thinking, I just achieved the ultimate goal. How is it that the satisfaction is so short-lived? And it was actually years later, I heard a Christian philosopher say these words that I thought nailed it. Mm -hmm. He said, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he has achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate. And in the end, it lets him down. Mm-hmm. And what he's referring to right there is something I believe, once again, everyone listening is familiar with, at least to some degree. Yeah, It's the human condition, or sometimes we talk about it as, you know, the yep. grass is always greener on the other side. So not quite satisfied, not quite fulfilled, not quite content with where you're at. What do you want, man? I yep. just want a little bit more. Yep. And so we buy this belief that, you know, we're missing something, but if we had a little more, that's when we'd be satisfied. And yeah. so human beings... As you know, what do we do? We set up goals, we set up achievements, we get things in our crosshairs that we're aiming at. Yeah. And sometimes when you get something good in those crosshairs, that leads to a hunger, that leads to the yeah. hard work, the drive, whatever it takes to get there. And have you ever had that moment where you achieved what you were going for and you eat yeah. that moment up and it is a very satisfying meal. 
Yeah. But what happens is the satisfaction doesn't last very long. Not like you thought it would. Mm-hmm. What happens is you develop a hunger all over again. And so what do you do? Well, you don't panic at that point. You just kind of step back and think a little bit. And after a little reflection, mm-hmm. you go, oh, the reason this didn't give me lasting fulfillment, it's simple. I didn't go for something big enough. If I mm. wanted to last, I know what I need to do. I need to raise the bar. I need yeah. to go to that next rung of the ladder. So that's exactly what we do. We set our sights on a new goal, but this is a higher goal. And yeah. you're thirsting after it. You get in all that work. You get there. You drink it up. You have your day. Yeah. And you're satisfied just like you thought you would be. But what happens? You get yeah. hungry and thirsty all over again. <laughs> and seemingly, it's just like this vicious cycle that has no end point. Yeah. But there is an end point, And that is the whole point to that quote that I just shared yeah. about one of the loneliest moments. The the big question is this, what happens when you finally arrive at a place where you no longer, like all the previous times before, can just reason within and say, I know what to do. I'll just go to the next rung of the ladder. Nope. You can't do that this time, bud. Why not? Because you're at the last rung of the ladder. Yeah. You can't say, well, I'll just climb the mountain a little bit higher, gain some more elevation. Not this time. No. You're a seal. You've reached it. Yeah. Yeah. You're at the peak of the mountain. Hey, there's nothing left. There's nothing left to climb. And yet, like all of the other previous times before, you're hungry, you're thirsty for more. But unlike all of the other times, this time there is no next. Yeah. One of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience when he's achieved that which he Mm. thought would deliver the ultimate in the end, it lets him down. And so I am, as a SEAL, wearing that armor, wearing that identity. It's all a facade Mm. in front of family and friends. Oh, yeah, I'm a SEAL. I got it together. What's the truth? More miserable at that stage of my life than I'd ever been. And Mm. and everything was just circling a train. All I had to look forward to, which is not something to look forward to, is trying to get some get back, trying to get some revenge overseas. It was that serious still. It was that serious of a – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you're still wearing a believer, yeah. And it's it's not a healthy fuel to be living off of, but it is a – it's a – it's a – it's a fuel that burns yeah. bright. A rage you know, like, of like, vengeance. Like fuel. Yeah. Well, let me say this as you go into the next part too, because obviously everyone listening isn't a Navy SEAL. But as Chad is saying, you know, every moment's fleeting. And you might not realize this listening, but here's what happens. Male or female were raised. We want the Disney wedding. We want the white picket fence. We want the spouse. Oh, he's attractive. She's attractive. Hey, we have kids. Hey, we have this kind of life. Hey, we have this kind of sex life. Hey, we do this. Chad's a Navy SEAL. Brian's a skater. We're always looking for something and it's not vanity like we think of vanity, but we're projecting. And so now you get to 25, 30, 35 and you're like, okay, I guess I'm a housewife or maybe you are a woman that works or I'm a dad and I guess I check in at Home Depot. Wait, you're not looking for that woman. You're not looking at having kids. You have those things and you related in the good, but now you're relating in the wrinkles are coming, there's poopy diapers, I'm paying the bills, life. And so really, you never changed, but all this projecting has to go to something else. That's why you hit 35, 40, and you're like, man, that girl in school, that was cute, or hey, this person over here, or hey, you know, I'm getting a black belt in my jiu-jitsu, that's a good thing. You know what I mean? But like that can become an idol. And what Chad is saying, Wayne, is the story of the Old Testament is idol worship, taking Abraham, you know, and his son up the mountain, Abraham was old in age and couldn't have kids. If you didn't have a kid in that day, where's your lineage, Chad? You were looked at in a bad way. Mm. God blessed him, took him up the mountain, told him to be willing to sacrifice his child. Why? 
This is your idol. This is who you are. Abraham was willing and that showed Abraham trust in God. That really means he's content. And the Bible says godly contentment is great gain. So all you're hearing from Chad, and I want to pass it over to you in a sec, but I had a film crew in here probably um, six, seven years ago. A lady called Barrett Perlman lives here and she was doing a TV show for Netflix called Life After X. And she's like, hey, Brian, can we interview, you know, all the years riding for Tony Hawk, all the rest? I was like, okay. So even right here, they were interviewing me. It hasn't gone on there yet. But she realizes a snowboarder, you have all these professional snowboarders. They're sponsored one minute, they're not the next. They fall into a depression. Why? They're not getting the phone calls, <laughs> not getting the checks, not working mm. on product. Chad hasn't made it to this level where he's designing the vans or he's touring the world or he's doing this. You went a different route anyway. But while they were interviewing me, it's like four or five people in a media team and she's sitting right here asking me questions. And she's like, so what was it like for you? And I was like, well, for me, I'm married, then divorced, don't know the Lord, come to faith. I'm still a skater. I'm riding for Tony Hawk. You know, life's life's good in that sense, but I'm depressed, don't want to live. For me, it wasn't life after skating. It was that I had a relationship with Jesus Christ and it changed my mm. life. So to me, it's like that snowboarder girl or or Chad the Navy SEAL without God or whoever's listening. If you don't know the Lord, you're not content. And even as Christians, I talked to a yeah. girl the other day online who just came back to the faith and I said, hey, try and learn to be content. It's always fleeting. We don't get closure this side of eternity. We get something better. It's Jesus. So I'm saying that to say, know your boundaries, people. Don't bail on your marriage because the grass is greener. Because you know what? There's a 8 billion, what, split it in half? That's 3.5 billion people potentially you could go be with. Is that what God has for you? Or you could chase all these things, you know? So anyway, there's Chad. He's drinking. He's got the badge. He's on top of it. There's rage. How do we meet the Lord, basically? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't want to let anyone know how I really felt underneath it all because I'm not that kind of guy. So I would mm. pull it all together on the outside. Like, oh, yeah. I'm good to go. Oh, I'm living a dream. What's the yep. truth? I'm miserable. And so mm. since I just felt like at that stage, I just don't, I don't feel anymore. I just felt so calloused in my heart. Mm. Uh after seeing what had happened with Scott on, on TV, it just it really hardened me in, mm. in, in my heart. Uh, but what was it that, that made me feel a little something was to go out and drink, cut loose with the guys. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that stimulated me. I, I, I felt something there. Mm. And so I was going out and just doing way too much of that and really adopted, you know, what you know, they say in the SEAL teams is the work hard, play hard mentality. Yeah. So as long as I could do my job, you know, I'm good to go. But I think family could see that I was really uh, messing up big time. And so that's where you get the prayers. We're praying yeah. for you. We're praying for you. And uh, everything really came to a head one night where I just put the family through a big scare. And uh, they en- end up inviting me to go to church one night. I have no desire to go. I've been invited a hundred times and turned it down, you know? <laughs> and uh, I say, hey, you don't got to worry about me because don't treat me like uh, like I'm a like an atheist i believe in god you know like me and jesus we're cool i'm on the yeah, team yeah yeah truth was i wasn't on the team uh learning that now you know <laughs> i just kind of thought you know pretty much i'm a christian because i'm american or i'm a christian because yeah. that's where that's where my my family yeah. goes to a christian church well but you picture going there when you die okay god i know i'll see you later yeah yeah 
If I knew, all right, if I died, I think I know what I need to do. I just need to rattle off a prayer real quick. Mm-hmm. So that was my only hope is like, I hope that whatever death I die, it's not a quick death, that I at mm-hmm. least have enough time to try and make amends with God. So I knew yeah. I was not right. Yeah. And uh, I decide I'll just go to get them off my back because really I was, I was unwelcomed at the home. I had put them mm-hmm. through so much that whenever I came back to Huntington Beach, they said basically the last conversation was, don't come back here. Don't come back to our house. We're not just some place for you to sleep off the night. You know, mm. if you're going to come back, go go stay with somebody else. Yeah. And I, at the time, I had a keg of beer that was stashed in their garage, and all I wanted to do was get to it. I didn't feel any remorse. That's just kind of where my heart was so callous. Yeah. And so I show up to go get that keg, and my dad's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, they're pretty serious. You know, they're showing some tough love. Mm. And I go, all right. I just thought kind of uh, – on my feet in that moment, I'll deal with this diplomatically. I go, you guys want me to go to church tonight, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'll go with you. And they're like astonished. I'm actually going to go. Like, you will? I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Secretly, my plan all along, go, suffer through it. It'll be over by 9 o'clock at night. The night is still young. I don't even start my night till 10 or 11. I'll go grab that keg of beer when they go to bed. I'll fall off the radar, and they'll go to sleep. And it's a win-win for everybody. And mm-hmm. so we go, and as we're there, uh, there is a man speaking there that night by the name of Greg Laurie. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people are familiar with the, I think it's called Jesus Revolution, the movie yeah. that's out all over the nation now. And so number one Laurie, DVD. It's a number one DVD right now in America. Awesome. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Greg Laurie's so preaching. Check that out, people. And uh, yeah, he just, he has a way with words. God has gifted that man. He really captured my attention as he was telling the story from the Bible of a soldier by the name of Naaman. Mm-hmm. Naaman is this commander who's had great success in battle. He's got this entourage of men that highly respect him. He's got the status, right? Mm-hmm. Even the king enjoys Naaman's company. And so you could picture like he's getting invited to all the after parties, the VIP meet and greet, like the king wants to rub shoulders with Naaman. Yeah. And so he's this mighty man of valor. Sounds like he could have been a seal, yeah. uh, but he's a leper. And leprosy during that time, Jesus looking back actually specifically named Naaman. He said, nobody during the time of Naaman had ever been healed of leprosy. Mm-hmm. And so now the picture is being painted like this. Circle back so much for all that success. So mm-hmm. much for this outward man, this persona. Yeah. Because what's really going on underneath that armor that we don't see, Naaman? Yeah. What's really going on underneath the clothing that might not meet the eye? Well, What's really going on mm. is he's literally physically deteriorating. He is falling apart. Naaman, as it turns out, is a dead man walking. Mm. And how quickly I relate with that guy right there. Because I thought to myself, yeah, I'm a certain guy on the outside. And maybe many of the <laughs> listeners right now could relate. You know, you're a certain person in front of your coworkers, in front yeah. of your family members and friends. Mm. When in reality, there are some other issues going on underneath it all. Mm. And so I felt like that dead man walking. I'm listening, and no doubt about it, Naaman has probably tried everything he can do as a mighty man of valor to handle this on his own, Mm. but it's the impossible. The unsung hero in the story, some little girl, a servant girl, she speaks up. She's the evangelist. She says, if only my master were the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Such confidence. And so Naaman's desperate. He decides he wants to go. As it turns out, this is enemy-occupied territory. It's not a short trip. It's 150 miles. He's mm. doing this with horses and chariots. 
and he needs approval from his king. So the king, he gives him his blessing, sends a letter with them. He gets to the, the door of this prophet, Elisha, and he's expecting him obviously to come out of his place. But instead, what he gets is some servant that relays a message to him. And the message was basically this. If you go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, when you come up, your flesh will be restored to you. You will be clean. <laughs> kind of like the name of the podcast, right? I think it's yeah. like, what is it called? The Foolish Things? Or foolishness. Is, like First Corinthians one eighteen. It's foolishness yes. to those that are perishing. Yeah, <laughs> That's what dipping in the water seemed like to Naaman. He's like, really? I've come all of this way. This guy doesn't even come to the door, sends a servant to the door, and basically tells me, like, just go try and wash it off. Wash it off. It seems like absolute foolishness to him. And so he turns and he begins to leave. He's going away in a rage. He's venting out loud. Mm. He's talking about what his expectations were, starting off with saying, I expected that guy to come out of his place. He Mm. thought he was going to come out of his place that he was going to put on a big show, that he was going to be waving his hands over Red the Red carpet, yeah. Yeah, calling on the name of the Lord his God, like really calling mm. the special effects, you know, mm. something out of Disney, and then just woof, like wipe the leprosy away. Mm. But instead he gets treated like this normal and then basically yeah. gets told to go dip it off. And so just this whole wash it off thing, He's actually saying, mm. I've got way cleaner water where I'm from in Damascus, far cleaner than all the waters of Israel. If I could just go wash it off, why don't I go back home and do it? Mm. And so to him, it's absolute foolishness. Yeah. But what maybe some people haven't caught yet is, you know, what's real the real problem for Naaman here? Mm. Is it that leprosy or is that really just a surfacey symptom of a much deeper issue mm-hmm. that's going on? The deeper issue is I think an issue that all of us have is it's pride. It's ego. Mm-hmm. He just, he won't go and do this simple little thing because that simple little thing seemed like a foolish thing to it's him. Below him. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know who I am. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what it says, right? Like you said in, in first Corinthians that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Yeah. Well, yeah. no doubt about it. Naaman here is in a state of perishing, but something that his, his guys say to him, Mm. begins to get through because he's surrounded by some guys that care about him and they're trying to get him to go back. Mm. They're saying, come on, Naaman, you know, if this guy came out and gave you some big, great thing to do, you would have done it. Mm. Like if he was given some CrossFit exercise, he probably would have done it, you know, but because <laughs> or a hundred was... foreskins like David. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. But because it was such a simple thing, it just seemed like a foolish thing. Uh, but somehow mm. God uses what these guys say. Mm. You know, the conviction is there. And I think this is where Naaman really begins to get it, that it's not this water that's going to fix me. It's the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. That if I am faithful, Amen. he will be faithful and he will do the hard part. He's going to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. And so as he makes that change of direction, I would just say there was a whole, whole lot more going on than a mere physical change of direction. I think there was a 180 going on, yeah. you know, in his mind, uh, intellectually, but most importantly, spiritually. I think that he understood that in order for me to live, if I want life, it starts with me making this walk to my own funeral. I need need to die to self. I need to humble myself. It was the pride. Some of you guys need to hear that dying to self, taking up your cross, your own funeral. That's how we defeat death by dying in Christ. Yeah. And and so many of us are just like, I'll do it my way. I'm going to do it my own way. And it's the power of I, right? And that's how it all started in the garden. 
Yeah. You know, Lucifer fell because of pride. He thought he could set himself above the most high. Mm-hmm. And then he really lured Adam and Eve into that idea that you will be like him, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and so it's this worship of self thinking you could do everything mm-hmm. on your own. There's a lot that you can do to some degree, but mm-hmm. there's one thing you definitely cannot do on your own is you can't achieve your own perfect righteousness. You can't climb your own yeah. spiritual staircase into heaven. We all fall short. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you can't you can't get any closer than the Tower of Babel, you know, before yeah. it all just starts. You can't wipe off the dead skin, the wretched man. And you probably know this, but when Paul says wretched man that I am, what they used to do in that day was they if you did something wrong, like jumped off the pier too many times, they would take a <laughs> dead person and they would oh. tie that person to you. So you would have a dead you mean you should definitely use this in your sermons. They would tie a dead carcass to you where eyeballs and all this junk were falling off. So when Paul's saying, wretched man that I am, he's talking about the outer man that we are. So Naaman's full of leprosy. I'll tell you this. I've never really heard someone preach on that sermon. So the fact that a Navy SEAL went in there that day, wanting to come home and deceive his parents to get his booze, and then Greg Laurie preached on that. So anyway, go on back to the story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, you could say that Naaman was carrying around a lot of dead weight. That must be where that comes from, right? (laughs) Uh, So he decides I'll do it. And so obviously this is going to take an act of faith. He's, he's believing, right, that this yeah. God of Israel is going to come through a lot like Abraham had a lot of faith that, you know, his son Isaac, that yep. even if he were offered up and died, we learn in Hebrews that yeah. uh, he believed God could raise him again because God yeah. said that from your son, Isaac, yep. he would make many nations. And yeah. so that's just, this is just, you got to trust God here. Yeah. And so he's trusting and he's dipping and five, six times, nothing's probably happened. It's the seventh time he comes up in the Hebrew. The picture is that he had brand new skin like that of a baby. Mm. And so just the, the the picture, first of all, like you said, just the filth, right? Of just oh, being spotted and blotted, all these blemishes. It's nasty stuff. Yeah. But then he comes up and he's got that brand new skin like that of a baby. Mm. I remember just being captivated. I'm just locked in. Like I'm watching a movie <laughs> and it's a movie that I am inspired by. And I really felt like, well, this is where the inspiration fades away. Just like any movie out there. Mm. Uh, yeah, guy gets the girl in the end, all worked out for the hero. Uh, I know what part we're at. We're at the end. Yeah. And soon their credits are going to roll. The lights are going to come back on. And it's no longer time to be a passenger. It's no longer time to vicariously live through a character mm. on the TV screen or the movie screen. Now it's time to like, mm. you know, step back into my shoes and go back out there into the world and deal with the mess I got to deal with. Well, yeah. I should make a point. The credits don't roll right there. The story goes on and this is where it gets personal. That just as God provided a way out for Naaman, mm. uh, he's provided this solution for mm. us as well. And it doesn't come in the form of dipping ourselves anywhere. Really what yeah. God did is he dipped his son down mm. into the world, this Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. And he lived a life. He lived a holy, perfect, sinless life. So here's mm. this life that you and I and everyone else has lived apart from God. If you yeah. haven't caught it yet, that leprosy in the Old Testament is a picture of our sin. We are yeah. all like Naaman, spiritually speaking, spotted and blotted and blemished. Mm. And just like Naaman couldn't do anything to get the leprosy off of himself, there's nothing you and I can do to get sin off of ourselves. But mm. this Jesus he was not spotted or blotted. He was holy, blameless, without blemish. Yeah. And then he goes to the cross. And he went to the cross with specific purpose. 
Yeah. In Matthew 1, it declares that you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. He came to save us from our sin. So this sin, mm-hmm. like that leprosy, that we cannot get off of ourselves, he came to save us from it yeah. by trading skin. He trades skin. At the yeah. cross, Jesus takes all of our, our leprosy, as it were, our sin upon mm-hmm. himself so that we could be switched and lavished yeah. with God's grace and his mercy as though we lived the holy, perfect, blameless life that Jesus lived. Mm-hmm. And so he conquers the power of sin and he conquers the power of death by rising again. And from that resurrected life, he declares, because I live, mm-hmm. you also shall live. In other mm-hmm. words, like this life on earth ain't it, that you too can overcome <laughs> the grave. And so that leprosy, remember the consequences of it. If Naaman didn't go in an act of faith and trust into that Jordan River, if he just continued off in that direction, he was a dead man walking at least to death. That's how sin is, folks. Mm. Sin, if it goes unchecked and undealt with, says the wages of sin is death. And that's not just a mere physical death. You are an Mm. eternal creature. You'll spend eternity in one of two places. Death is separation. Mm. And so death number one is where the soul leaves the body. That's what it says in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the body without the soul is dead. It's a separation, not an annihilation. Mm. And then there's a second death that's referred to in the Bible. That's the one that you really don't want. That's the eternal separation from God. That's that's hell. Yeah. And so the wages of sin is death, but Jesus paid our fine in full so that we could be vindicated and set free. And so by rising again from the dead, conquering the power of sin, conquering the power of death, says, because I live, you also shall live. But remember, what's the turning point? The turning point is all of us have to do what we could call on this podcast, the name and thing to do. You know, Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, you want that forgiveness of sin? You want to follow him after the grip? If anyone wants to come after me, you must. It starts Mm -hmm. with this, deny self. It's like you highlighted earlier. It's that die to self. It's that stripping away of the pride, the ego. It's coming coming before God just humbly, flinging yourself upon his mercy asking for his forgiveness. And the scriptures say that a broken and contrite heart, he will not turn away. And so if you sincerely are sorry, not just sorry you got caught, but you have sincere sorrow, it's that godly sorrow that leads to repentance and to salvation. (laughs) So I just, I'm locked in, man. I realize like, oh, this is so true. Greg's saying all all this, right? Yeah. 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 And I'm just so convicted by it. And I knew like, it just, it hit me. This is the truth. Like what this man's speaking right now is truth, hmm. and I need to act upon this truth. Yeah. And so I found myself that night doing what we could call the name and thing. I decide I'm going to humble myself before my Creator. I'm going to throw myself just upon His mercy. I'm going to ask Jesus to do the hard part, and He does do the hard part. He does yeah. that heavy lifting, pays for the sin in full, and makes a way for us in eternity. And not just that, He gives us a lane to be in while we're here on earth. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was March 14th, 2007. I heard that message. Do you know where the message is? Like, do you have it? Did Greg record it and you've got it somewhere? Like, could I get it and put it in the link below? Because here's why. That would be cool. Well, I'm going to send, you know, I've got a lot of friends at jujitsu around the world that are police, military, different people. And a lot of them really wrestle with some of the trauma they went through, some of the different things. So I know when I send them this even, I want to link something like that as well. So if we knew where that was, just to say this was the message, Man, you know? Yeah, I'm sure it's findable. I don't know if you have any connections at Costa Mesa. It was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, March 14th, 2007. Yeah. And the way I know that date is because when I was in the teams and I was deployed, 
Mm. Uh, I was watching the the stream on Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and sometimes they would randomly play archived events. Wow. And I saw what they're playing is the night that I got saved. And I actually saw myself stand up from the camera perspective. But you don't have it? You don't have it right now? You don't know where don't. it is? I oh, I, you'll be able can, to Google search. I, I, I can hit up Brian, Pastor Brian Broderson today and we can figure out yeah. where it is. So I just think yeah. that's cool. You know, if you have his number, I don't have his number. I, I, <laughs> I'm kind of like, we kind of know each other a little bit, but I've never yeah, really gotten yeah. to have a conversation in a long one. But uh, yeah. yeah, you could dial it right at March 14th, 2007. We just played it right there. It'd be cool to. Let's see. I remember watching me stand up from the outside. Like, <laughs> there I am. There's me not saved. There's me saved, like in my head's walking forward, like bobble head funny. going forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, really, for people listening, here's the important thing: you sometimes hear us as Christians, and I, I evangelize the same way you do, right, right to the core, right to the truth. But you could be listening, saying, "Well, I've never sinned. Why do you die? Why do you wrinkle? Why do you pass away? Why did Chad face traumatic things with his friend? Why will Chad's even family say goodbye to him one day? Why will my kids be putting me in the grave? Because the payment for our sin is death. So have you lied? Have you lusted? Have you cheated? Do you think this podcast is goofy? It's because you don't understand the gospel and the message. And Chad, really what he said the last 20 minutes is that we're in this world that doesn't satisfy but there is something that satisfies. Despite that we'll get older, despite that the barnacles would still cut our hands, despite that people are still trying to submit me in jujitsu, the only thing that truly satisfies, I said trying, my professor could do it, I'm kidding. But the only thing that truly <laughs> satisfies is Christ. Because Colossians says all things are made by him, for him, through him. Mm. So you go down, this is going on, you come to faith, what, 2007 you said. Yeah. And so what's the... What's happened since? I mean, what's going on? You know, what, what do you want us to know? <laughs> yeah. Well, all those other pursuits, like you're saying, they leave you hungry and thirsty for more. But so interesting. Jesus yeah. says, hey, you drink of my living water, you'll mm-hmm. never thirst again. Amen. And so how is it? All these others, they leave you unsatisfied one anymore. He says you'll never thirst again. Because when you have that right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what you were designed for, you were made to know him. Amen. Once you have that, you're like a fish that's finally in water. You know, yeah. you're finally like you're in the lane you belong in. Amen. You're living off of the thing you're supposed to live off of. You never thirst again because the search is over. You're complete. I am complete in Christ. I could Amen. die happy right now. Amen. And anything that I get here yeah. on earth after, like, it's just, it's additional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I know that the afterlife is really going to be the best life. I'm so motivated by this C.S. Lewis quote that I cannot believe I only just came across. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> Uh, he says uh, that when I die, I hope that all of hell rejoices that I am no longer on the battlefield. Like that's his wish, you know. That when you when as I a battlefield, die, yeah, yeah, uh, that that's what he wants. He he wants to create such an impact here on earth that hell mm. is saying, "Praise God, he's, he's no gone. longer in the battle." You know, like we don't want him on the battlefield anymore. And so Paul's perspective is to live as Christ, but to die is gain. He saw that it was meaningful for him to still be around. And so it's meaningful for every believer, anyone that knows God is what's the next thing. The rest of your life, whatever you have left in, you make them known. And and speaking of Colossians there, you know, it's whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so I could go back to being a steel that next day and actually enjoy it in a way I didn't enjoy it before. 
because it's in its proper category. It's no longer the main thing. It's no longer my God. It's it's a secondary mm. thing yeah. because God is where he belongs. He's yeah. in the throne of my heart, of my yeah. mind. And so I could, whatever I do in word or deed, I could be a seal for Christ. Yeah. And so that's, and before it was like a seal and it was kind of just me. And that's like decaf. It just never delivers, yeah, right? It's just yeah. a waste of your time, <laughs> you know, but you could flip it around and say, hey, not for me, but for thee. And that's yeah. true of anybody, whether that be mm. a, a construction worker, corporate world, a stay-at-home yeah. mom, you could do it all in a meaningful yeah. way, doing it not for yourself, but for thee, not for me, but for thee. As I'm a for the Christ. Lord, yeah. Yes. Well, so I how long up- did you stay in? Like, because how, how long did you serve? Because I know we're limited on time coming up, but you went and served. I mean, you had all these experiences. We'll have to do a round two, like in the coming weeks, but you served out for how long as a Navy SEAL? Uh, I got saved in 2007. I was out by May 2010. So I had some time and yeah. uh, ended up deploying uh, yeah. a couple different times. Uh, the last deployment I was involved in, we're out in Iraq and given the task of hunting down men that make suicide vests and roadside bombs. Yeah. And, you know, we're working out there with the Iraqi Special Operation Forces. And uh, you know, they ambushed you, the- right? I didn't get to hear how it finished, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, 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 we got set up on an ambush. And, you know, as we're pulling up, it's like, this is the same way my mentor died. You know, he got set up on an ambush. The odds are really against you. But we ended up, you know, shooting, moving, communicating, and mm. and just doing what we do best in the SEAL teams. And we had the resources available to us to do those things that Scott didn't have uh, because of budget cuts at that time, uh, just because wow. of what that, that company was doing. And uh, we ended up victorious. We ended up killing those that wanted to fight to the death, driving back those that didn't want to fight anymore and capturing the guy we're going after wounded by life. And, you know, that's one of the big differences between us and them. You could say over there is that we preserve life wherever possible. Like this guy that was just trying to kill us, we carried him into our own hospital and saved his life, which was for me, sort of a closure. There's a certain kind of guy that I was looking through a TV screen, thinking what I would like to do if I could get my hands on one of those guys. Yeah. And now here I am in the same you know, province for all I know, this guy had a hand in what happened or at the very least was celebrating that day. Celebrating it. Yeah. There he is before you. He's helpless. And I actually was given the responsibility of hand carrying this guy in our own hospital. I remember looking at him thinking, man, you are so lucky. I became a Christian. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I'm just thinking, thinking, when's the movie coming out? I mean, is this, is this something like you probably haven't even talked about or do we need to send this to some producers? Because I'm like, yeah, you know, it's come very a- close. I will say it's come very close with a lot of major productions, but it just it's not God's. This thing is the deepest I've time. got into this, and I'm saying with with the, the the size of some of these things, I just know my military friends here in this. I didn't know that part, so so regardless of that guy, you could have pulled the trigger or not. That's closure. That's the rage. That's the empathy. That's the compassion. Damn. His will, not my will be done. That's a big deal. You know, because yeah, you could almost start. close that. And yeah. Yeah. Could have so. suffocated that guy or something, you know. Like. <laughs> no. Yeah. But well, well, here's the thing. I would tell you to share the gospel with us, but we've pretty much been doing it for like two hours. But so the, the, the last, first of all, how do people get a hold of you? Your book, Seal of God. It's been out for how many years? Book's been out since 2012. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. still last I checked, still uh, like one of those evergreen books, as they call them. It's it's in the major bookstores. It's, it's on Amazon, gone. Barnes and Noble. I'll put the, uh, link the best down way there. to get 
a hold of me is is probably through my website. Yeah. If I could try, I try and screen share real quick. I could pull up the site. Oh yeah, do whatever you want. You know how to do do that. All right, cool. I got it. All right, I have control. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let me let me try and pull up the right one though before. I know some people come out and they're so serious. Like how serious is? I'm like, look. I want listeners to feel like it's so practical what we're doing. You know, okay, there's the website. Okay, you can see it? Yeah. Right. So cool. So this is the website, sealofchrist.com. What I wanted to show, though, is something kind of new. So, yeah. Um, on here, you can get signed copies of the book under, yeah. like, products. Uh, you could get the shirt that I got on right now. Yep. Um, but the thing I wanted to show everyone is on the top right corner, this thing called fitness right here. Yeah. So this is kind of my new creation. And yep. so I've been coming out with daily programming. It's called daily beatdowns. Yeah. And it's five days a week, 30 minute workouts. And so it works for me because I'm always on the road. I don't need a full gym to work out in because I might be, you know, in a hotel or, you know, just enough time to work out at the house. Yep. And so this kind of gives you like a little bit of a rundown of it. It's a wow. membership thing. So it's the thing I'm excited about. And I made it cheap. It's only nine ninety nine. I mean, yeah, you're going to yeah, find yeah. other stuff out there super expensive well well, i'll tell you this i'll interrupt you and just say this as someone that does what i do travels for ministry i don't get a salary from somewhere so i either raise support you know yes i put a book out other things i do but for you you want to take what you've done and learned and i'm looking at you now and it's like you're in great shape i'm looking at afterwards even being like hey man what do you do i'll come do one of your workouts so i'll put all those links there guys first corinthians you talk about 914 the Lord has commanded that those who do the work of the gospel make the living from it. So yeah, we could go make tents. Paul did that three times, but there was serious reasons. And he only preached once in the synagogue per week when he was off. Once he was fully funded, he was able to do it all the time. So we didn't have this idea, let's create this thing, whatever. But Chad, go support him, his workout, whatever he's doing. Get in shape. I'll probably go do something like that as well. But your site has... I just seen some of those videos there. I'm like, I want to go see this stuff. I've never read through all your books. So congratulations on all that anyway. <laughs> and then anything else, what's your Instagram as well? Uh, Instagram is the same handle as the, the book, Steel of God. Perfect. perfect. And yeah. now you're just what? Itinerant speaker, going to churches, speaking to people, doing different things. Right. Uh, speak to corporate groups. That's kind of the tent making skill set. But man, the real passion is being able to be completely untouched there to share the gospel at places as so that's actually part of the part of this side project that little side hustle i have with the workout thing is hopefully i I can grow that to the point where i don't even need to worry what i'm making on the corporate side and i can just start focusing on faith stuff and not worry about it so it's crazy like i'll spend 50 percent of my time raising support and i won't sit with just like a person to ask them to support because i feel like they're only going to think that's what i care about so i almost just like lord Let me know what you want me to do. Raise up people who partner. I mean, all of this stuff I do, I don't get paid for it. I put 150 episodes out just to do it. I don't sell advertising for some socks or deodorants or I don't yeah, even know. Yeah. But guys, listen, we're just here because, you know, Chad's been so open. You've heard his story and yes, the zeal the whole time, but you could hear those moments in his life where there was times of pain, of hurt, but you kept hearing the push through. You heard a reckless kid, didn't know what he was doing, whether it's Alaska, whether it's the Navy SEAL, whether it's whatever. But then you heard the excitement 20 years later, almost, I mean, of his faith. I was a divorced, suicidal skateboarder who was on top of the world, made great money. And now I'm podcasting and traveling and speaking. And as Chad is preaching to you, I'm hearing myself because I don't have many evangelists on. 
this is what we're about. But really what we're saying is, do you know Jesus? If you drop dead today, are you hidden in Christ? Are you born again? Not white Hollywood Jesus, you know, who's all pretty walking around and golden hair carrying a lamb. The Jewish carpenter who lived, died, rose again is God wrapped in the flesh who had to die in our place, shed his blood because me and Chad are goofballs who sinned, whether we're jumping off piers, whether we're sleeping around, whether we're partying, whether we're just hating. That's everyone. There's no one excluded from this. All of us will die. So that's what we're here to tell you. Connect with him. Message him. He'll get a hold of you online. I know he'll respond, especially those who are struggling. If you are military and life is crazy, get a hold of Chad. We care about you. Life is tough just being a man anyway. But any kind of closing thoughts, and would you just pray us out as well? And I'd be happy yeah. to. You know, yeah. one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis, and I kind of feel like this is the life mission here. Hmm. As he says, enemy occupied territory, that is what this world is. But Christianity is the story about how our rightful king has landed, you might say in disguise, and now he's calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. Mm. Uh, that campaign of sabotage <laughs> is overthrowing the plans of the ultimate terrorist and suicide bomber, Satan, mm. who knows he's going down. And like any suicide bomber, He's not content with going down by himself. He wants to take out as many people with him as he possibly can in the process. And that's personal. That's our family, our friends, our coworkers, yeah. all of our fellow citizens. But God, if you know him and you are a soldier for Christ, he has given you the opportunity to take part with divine justification, take part in a campaign of sabotage by spreading the gospel message, which is a message that could really reach out and touch somebody. Mm. And so that's what it's all about. Let's pray. <laughs> Uh, Father, just thank you so yes. much for uh, just this time uh, that Brian and I got to spend together here and chatting it up and uh, just all the different little avenues that this took. I, I love, Lord, how uh, talked about different things, that stuff that does hasn't even come up in a long time. Yeah. And Lord, I, I'm sure that uh, you have something for everybody that's listening. Yeah. There was a reason why we took those directions. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray for everyone listening right now, if they do not know you, uh, that even if it's a recording, Lord, that in this mm. moment, as they listen to this recording, that they would have immediate conviction in the heart, that your Holy Spirit would just open up uh, a way, an opportunity for them. As Jesus, you prayed that you said the Holy Spirit would come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And I also pray, Lord, that they would just look to you and just see how rich you are in, in mercy and grace and how we're just called just to trust in you, to put our faith in you. And so I pray that hearts would be open to the truth of this gospel message that was shared. And I pray, Lord, that you would you would mm -hmm. save. And I also pray for all the believers listening that they would be emboldened. We know, Lord, that you have prepared in advance works for us, that we ought to walk in them. Mm -hmm. And so I just pray that they would identify uh, those things that they're supposed to be doing for your sake, and they wouldn't hesitate, that you would open doors and that you would give them boldness to speak and you would give them wisdom and understanding in those moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys listening, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm pretty sure it'll be God's will. We'll do a round two with Chad because one of the things I want to ask is even how do you live out your life using those methods that you've learned in the military? Because we are soldiers for Christ. We are ambassadors. There are methods. We can do a follow-up on that. But guys, for everyone, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross. We've said it so many times today. It is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us 
Hopefully that's you who are being saved. It's the power of God. Um, get a hold of Chad. Hit me up. Share all that corny stuff. Um, it matters. People need to hear. Listen to this powerful testimony between my brother, even myself. Jesus is alive and he loves people. He called us to go. Brother, um, love you. Appreciate you. It's amazing just hearing the spirit that's in you. I just taught on John the Baptist and how... He's not Elijah, but Jesus says, if you can accept it, because he's the spirit of Elijah. There's that anointing of the evangelist. And I just even pray that over people listening. We're not all evangelists, but we're called to evangelize. But for myself and Chad, this is obviously our office, the constant call to lead people to repent and to tell everyone to go. You need to hear that from us today and start making plans to reach teach to to disciple and go in jesus name and share so god bless you all amen amen